You know, Pastor Orley, I totally um, forgot to introduce you uh, to everyone. I think everyone knows who you are. We have this new stranger leading us in worship. Uh, pastor Orley is the pastor of the Filipino Christian Fellowship. Uh, Roger's on vacation with Hillary and Roger Jr. and Hero, uh, so it's good that they get a little break. And, and Orley has graciously come with his wife to help lead us. And let me tell you, I'm really thankful for Orley this morning because we were scrambling to get, I mean, technology doesn't work at just the right time, you know, it, like just when you need it to come through for you, it just, it's out on break, you know, out down the road at Wendy's, you know, and you're like, where, what's happened? Uh, so I'm really thankful for Orly and his wife to um, help us through that and lead us in worship um, because you guys have seen me lead worship and it's not that beautiful. It's not as beautiful as Orly. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so I, I want to distract everybody now and change focus. I invite everyone to open their Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is found in the New Testament. It's one of the small books, smaller books, found in between two small books, uh, Philippians and Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And today we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. So I want to start by asking you, and you feel free to raise your hand, and I, I want you to be honest, I don't want you to just raise your hand because you feel like you have to, how many of you feel blessed today? That's good, that's good. Uh, now, how many of you would feel so blessed uh, for me to get you a bumper sticker that, that you could tell the world how blessed you are that said, too blessed to be stressed? How many of you would want that? A few of you, right? Don had put it on his tractor, too blessed to be stressed, right? Uh, I personally never felt brave enough for uh, those bumper stickers. Um, now, next question. How many of you would feel blessed if you get in your car to go home and the check engine light came on? Would you still feel blessed? Um, I would not feel blessed because that happened to me yesterday and I didn't feel blessed. Uh, and also this morning, I certainly didn't feel blessed when the technology wasn't working. I felt very not blessed uh, in that moment. Uh, and so I think, though, if we're honest, there are many days when we don't feel particularly blessed, right? It's hard sometimes to just feel blessed, right? And and what do we do, though, whenever we want to remember when we're blessed? What's our what's kind of our go-to method? It's it's to count our circumstances, right? So what do we do? We we count where we live as a blessing. We count our families and our parents, grandparents, sisters, brothers, kids, grandkids. Uh, we count the fact that we're well fed, uh, having a good income, being able to go on a trip, vacation, being healthy. We count all of these things as a blessing. And, and not that counting those things are bad, right? In, in fact, it's, it's a command in Scripture that we need to be thankful for all things. But here in Ephesians, in this very first chapter, Paul starts this letter to the church in Ephesus by erupting in praise to God because of their blessedness in Christ. Right? Paul, right out of the gates, he says, Hi, I'm Paul, and I am praising God because we are blessed in Christ. But he doesn't list material possessions. He doesn't list life circumstances or a family. He doesn't list any of those things. Why? Because in Christ, our blessed state doesn't change with circumstances. 
in Christ, our blessed state doesn't change based on circumstance. So you have a good home, you're blessed in Christ. Are you homeless? You're blessed in Christ. Do you have good meals to eat? You're blessed in Christ. Are you starving to death? You're blessed in Christ. Are you, do you have a big family? You're blessed in Christ. Are you all alone? You're blessed in Christ. Are you healthy? Are you healthy right now? Your blessedness is in Christ. Do you have muscle degeneration? You are blessed in Christ. You may not feel it, but it's true nonetheless. Even now, Willa, at 13 months, um, we've read that she needs constant um, affirmations and, and to hear words to boost her self-esteem. So she needs to hear about how pretty she is and how smart she is and how, you know, uh, very compliant she is, I guess. I don't know, that kind of thing. She needs to hear those words, right? Uh, and she needs to, these constant affirmations and reminders. And, and, and very often, we just need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. We just need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. And that's what Paul sets out to do in this first passage in Ephesians. Before any command, before any correction, before anything he gives them to do, Paul reminds the church of who they are already in Christ. So, so whether, so listen, whether you continue to grow holy or you take a few back steps from holiness, you're still holy in Christ. Your, your growth in holiness and your growth in love do not alter your stance in Christ as radical and as scandalous as that sounds in our ears. They are more blessed than they can comprehend already. They are saved from first to last, beginning to end, all by the work of the triune God, fully, finally, and completely. And what I'd like for us to do today is to see the ways that this God, this triune God, has worked to lovingly, lavishly, and graciously bless his people. So what I'd like us to do is turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And what we'll do is we'll read Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. A few days ago, um, we went to my in-law's house, and I was surprised to see my mother-in-law, Venice, um, sitting at uh, one of the tables in her house with maps and an atlas unfolded in front of her. And, and of course, I had to make fun of her because I said, I don't think I've seen one of these things in 10 years. Like, how have you not already thrown these things away? Uh, my joke may have been about how she might is old or something. I don't remember. Um, but I don't know about you, but Mal and I don't really like plan our trips anymore. We, we have a place that we want to go and all we do is we put it into Google Maps and Google Maps tells us where to go. There's no necessarily planning involved. We just plug it into our, our phones and go. And, 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 but that's just the thing. The trip doesn't start when you get into the car and get on the road. It starts first of all with a plan. In other words, long before you pack up and get on the road, the trip has already started. And so before Paul ever starts talking about the cross, uh, he goes back before the beginning of creation. He goes back before the beginning of the world, before the creation of light and darkness and, and the sun and stars. So that's why the first thing that we see is that our blessedness was planned by the Father. Our blessedness was planned by the Father. So, so Paul begins this passage by, by erupting in praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it'd be like us saying like, hallelujah, just bursting out in, in praise. We're Baptists, so we don't do that a lot, but we should. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. Praise God, right? That's what he's doing. And so Paul doesn't just say though, Blessed be God, as this is some generic God. Paul blesses a specific person. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In theological terms, we like to say that the Father is the the first person of the Trinity. It doesn't mean the Father is the first in importance, but the first in order. So, why does Paul want to bless the Father? Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul blesses God the Father because we are unfathomably blessed. Unfathomably blessed. I stand before you today as your pastor, and I I don't know what your perception of me is, but I feel like you guys have had enough pastors to know that we're not superhuman. We're tempted just like any other man. Helen is smiling. I don't know. So we're, we're tempted just like any other man, maybe even more so. We have the same struggles, uh, the same dark thoughts, and the same foolish sins as anybody else. But one thing that Paul is saying and that I have to remind myself even when I'm tempted is that in Christ, I already have what I'm looking for. 
You know what sin is? All sin is is seeking satisfaction and a happiness apart from God or outside of his will. That's what, what sin is. And in Christ, what we have to do is seek that happiness in Christ. In Christ, God has already given us what we're looking for. We just have to seek it, seek it in him by faith. So God, the Father, has blessed us. How? Look at verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If you truly trust in Christ today, if you truly are his father, then you don't owe it to a decision you made. You don't owe it to the day that you gave your life to Christ, but you owe it to the decision of God the Father who knew you and chose you before you ever made a decision in your life. Think about it. As you sit here and call yourself a Christian, as you sit here and trust in Christ, the eternal all-powerful, eternal, almighty, infinite God chose you. He didn't see humanity and just select a random group and you were part of it. He looked into humanity and history and chose you. Your salvation was not an accident, not haphazard, and not reckless. It was planned J.I. Packer said, What matters supremely, therefore, is not, in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Your Loving of God, if you do love him, did not start with you, but started with the fact that God loved you first. Nobody loves God unless he first sets his divine and eternal love on them. We call this election. And it should be, and it should, and it should, uh, cause this deep humility and profound thankfulness because if the father had not first chosen us then we certainly would never have chosen him what this means is that christ didn't come to earth to persuade the father to love us and christ doesn't have to persuade the father to love us now the whole reason christ came is because the father loves you. God saw you and said, I'm going to give Christ for you. The fact that you were born where you were born, the way you were raised, the way you were raised and where you were raised, the fact that you heard the gospel, the fact that you received it and the fact that you are continuing in the faith is because the father divinely loves you. Any progress we make in holiness, any growth in the faith, any desire at all we have to be holy comes from God first. 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Philippians 2. By the plan of the Father, we are chosen, we are elected, we are made holy and blameless. And then in verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Mallory and I have, have talked often about how we're going to raise Willa and, and tell her that she's adopted and, and what terms we're going to use and how we're going to communicate that to her. And, and I think one way that's going to be my favorite way to describe it is, is like marriage. Because what I, I want to tell Willa is that your mom and I aren't related. We weren't related. We didn't know each other. We had separate families, separate upbringings. We come from different parts of the world. But because we entered into this covenant of marriage, we are now closer than any blood relation or any other human relationship on earth. I think it's the same with adoption. We enter into this covenant with Willa, and and though we weren't previously related, we've now entered into a relationship that brings us closer than any other kind of human relationship that there is. The truth is, you shouldn't be a son or daughter of this God. You shouldn't be. In your sin, you are as distantly related as you could be, but when God adopts, he doesn't send back to the orphanage. You're now related to God in a far deeper way than any other human relationship, even marriage. Paul says all of this in verse 6 is to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. All of this that Paul is writing is to get us like Paul, just praising and singing and dancing because of God's marvelous, lavish grace. I don't know if you've noticed by now, but there's a lot of prepositions that that Paul uses in this passage. In fact, it's loaded down. I mean, even back to verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. But even as we read down the passage, he just loads it down with prepositions. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. These blessings, in other words, only occur in union with a certain person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the beloved. That is why the second thing we see is that our blessedness was accomplished by the Son. Accomplished by the Son. So whereas the Father is is the primary subject in the first few verses, the Son now becomes the focus. So in in verse uh, in verse seven, in Him in the Beloved, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The love of the Father is chiefly expressed in the giving of his son for rebel sinners. The love of the father is expressed chiefly in the giving of his son for rebel sinners. The love of the father is seen in his giving of the most lovely, 
for the unlovely. And it says, in his giving for the, the most godly for the ungodly. The lawgiver for the lawbreakers. The most deserving for the undeserving. The Son is the jewel of creation given for the sake of sinfully hideous creatures. Romans 5.8 But God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still unlovely, while we deserved to not be saved, Christ died for us. Christian, if God loved you at your worst apart from Christ, how much more can you be assured of his love for you now that you are in Christ? If God loved you at your worst when you are apart from Christ, how much more can you be assured of his love now that you are in Christ? What's so interesting about Paul calling, this, calling Jesus the beloved is that in him we become the beloved. We become precious jewels. Here's the thing about God's grace. It's, it's scandalous. It's scandalous. It's the fact that he would give the most righteous for the unrighteous. Count the sins of the ungodly against the one who is godly. And then count the ungodly with the righteousness of the most righteous one is scandalous it's outrageous if you are in christ god counts none of your sins against you the sins of your past the sins that you committed on the way to church today the sins that you committed waking up and stubbing your toe the sins that you will commit later today and the sins that you'll commit in the future christ has covered all of your sins and he counts none of them against you but more than that He reckons you with his own righteousness. If you are in Christ, you are equipped with the righteousness of the eternal God himself. This is why we can be real about our sin. We shouldn't be afraid to admit that we are very great sinners. If Satan or anybody else comes and accuses us of a a sin we may or may not be aware of, we can say, you're right. In fact, I'm a lot worse than you think I am. And I'll gladly repent. I, I, I want to repent because the grace of Christ is enough for me. And I'll trust in his grace to change me. Here's, here's what I hope we understand today is that, that these benefits, this blessedness doesn't come apart from Christ, but in him, in him. In other words, it's not benefits and Christ. It's that Christ is the benefit of the gospel. What we receive in the gospel is not benefits, but Christ Sinclair Ferguson wrote, when we are in Christ, we possess Christ himself. All spiritual blessings are ours immediately and simultaneously in him. In him. There's one more thing that we need to understand. It's not as though that the father planned, chose us for adoption and planned it, and then, and then he said about how am I going to do this. 
We are limited by time, so so by nature we have to think, okay, this is what I want to do, and now this is how I'm going to go about doing it. But with God, the Father's plan to adopt and the Son's obedience to die on the cross were harmonious and instantaneous from the beginning. In other words, the Father's plan to adopt has always been a plan to send the Son to the cross. Very often when you plan a road trip, you don't know when you'll hit traffic or, or road work or construction or a, a wreck. The great thing about Google Maps, though, is that it will often reroute you. You know, if, if you're driving into a place and there's lots of traffic, it will send, change your direction and, and send you around that traffic. It's, it's like a plan B. But with God, there was never a plan B. God didn't initiate the plan of salvation after Adam and Eve sinned. It has always been the plan. This is what Paul means in verses 8 to 10. Look at, look at verse 8. So, so we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I want you to notice like this, uh, this like lavish, abundant, uh, Words that, that Paul uses, blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. He lavished on us his glorious grace, right? He, so, so God is lavishing all this on us. So which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite the, all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, what Paul is saying is that everything, everywhere, for all history is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. The rise and fall of kingdoms, the comings and goings of pandemics, bull markets and bear markets, global warming and war is all for the purpose of uniting all things under Christ. It's a mystery. But from the beginning, from before the beginning of the world, and before sin ever entered, it has always been the plan of God to send the Son as a sacrifice for sin to unite all things in Him. God eternally decided that what would glorify Him the most would be sending the eternal Son to die for ungodly sinners so that Christ would be the focus of all things and that His grace might be eternally praised it's a mystery that we cannot fathom but it's a mystery that we can praise god for because here we sit as benefactors of that plan by his grace so our blessedness is is planned by the father it's accomplished by the son and lastly it's applied by the spirit If you read this passage from beginning to end, you would not only see the three persons of the Trinity, but you would see how salvation is accomplished through eternity and through time. So, right, so first, in eternity before creation, the Father plans it. And then in time, the Son accomplishes it. And then after salvation had been accomplished, it was time for that salvation to reach people and for people to respond to it. It's like manufacturing a car, right? So you start at the top, right, with the designers and everything. You design this car. You have the blueprint and everything. Then you send the design to the factory uh, in time to get the car made, and the car gets produced. But just because the car is made doesn't mean the process is complete. You have to get the car to the people. God chose us for adoption. In the Son, he accomplished that. 
Now it's time for us to be adopted. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. Hey, God doesn't have any advisors. God doesn't need any advisors. He doesn't need anybody to tell him what to do or how to do it. It's according to the counsel of his own will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The Spirit takes the work of the Son and he applies it to believers. So, so in one sense, in one sense, for all eternity, we've already been adopted. But in another sense, we still had to be adopted in time. The Spirit, he quickens us so that when we hear the gospel, he actually gives us the faith to believe it. Right, we learn, we learn later on in Ephesians chapter 2 that, that for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this faith is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So, so the Spirit not only helps us to hear the gospel, but to believe it and to receive it. And having believed it, he seals us and gives us everything, everything, everything that belongs to Christ. I read an article this week about 39 things the Queen of England owns. So she owns all of the swans on the River Thames. Just all the swans. So if a swan decides he wants to land on the River Thames, sorry swan, you belong to the queen. She owns all the dolphins in the United Kingdom. I'm not really sure, like, in the United Kingdom, like, the continent or, like, oceans? I don't know. But she owns dolphins, which is cool. She owns a winning team of racehorses which is really cool, a bat colony. Apparently she likes to, she, or she used to, would get like a butterfly net and try to catch them. All of Scotland's gold mines. When the Spirit of God seals you, he gives you access to all of Christ and all of his riches, just as if all of the queen's riches belong to you. All of it. You, Christian, have access, full access to the eternal God. Access to all of his grace, to all of his mercies. You have access to all of his joys and all of his happiness. You have access to all of his strength and all of his power. To all of his love, to all of his attention. He showers you with the same affection that he showers on Christ. Because now you are in Christ, united to him. God, the eternal God, the eternal Father, the eternal Son, the eternal Spirit, he is readily and immediately available to you in all of his abundant, lavish goodness and grace. He is giving you everything you need and more. The truth of the matter is, you can lose everything as a Christian because you already have everything. The truth of the matter is, no matter what happens in this world, right, we're, we're afraid of losing a lot of things right now. We're, we're afraid of, of our democracy being lost and rights and everything. And that's great to be concerned about those things, but the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, if we lose them, we haven't really lost anything. 
Because we have all of our blessedness and all of our treasure in Christ. That's why Christ can say, give your life, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me, because in me you already have everything. So whether you find yourself free and in America or in prison and in China, you are still free. No matter where you are, you are still abundantly blessed in me. I have given you everything and more than you can imagine. In fact, you have an inheritance waiting for you. We can lose everything. My, one of my favorite passages is in Hebrews chapter 10. What is it, Pat, the, these Jewish Christians are being persecuted. And the author of Hebrews writes, remember, remember what you've done. Remember what you've sacrificed for the faith. And he says, you even joyfully, like happily, accepted the plundering of your property. How many of us would really love it if Antifa came into our houses and plundered our property? How many of us would joyfully accept that? But that's what Christ calls us to do is to put a higher price and a higher count and a higher value on our treasures in Christ so that that no matter what happens, we can say, I'm not losing anything. What this also means is that we have the same origin. We all have the same origin. All of us as Christians originated in the will, in the plan, and in the grace of God. So we're no different from anybody else, but especially no different from other Christians. The Christians who worship by candlelight in Africa, who dance for three hours before they ever get to the message, they have the same origin in God the Father as we do. And that's important for Ephesians because while Ephesians, we don't know a lot of the problems that are happening in the church, there is Jew and Gentile relationships that need to be forged. And what Jews and Gentiles need to realize is that they have the same origin in God the Father. And and also what this means is that you need to fight and kill everything that blocks you from accessing more of Christ. If there is something that impedes you from accessing more of your riches in Christ, if there is something that keeps you from pursuing Christ harder and more and more sacrificially, then you need to kill it and get rid of it. But lastly, the overarching message is that this is only available in Christ. Only available in Christ. So if you are apart from Christ, if you have not truly repented and trusted in Christ, if you are not following Christ, then these blessings are not yours, and this life is all you have. But but Christ offers himself to you, freely available, all of his blessings. And he just says, repent and trust in me and follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have given us everything. And how, how weak is our faith? Because how often do we not believe that? Lord, yes, it's good to, to fight for rights. It's good to, to fight for, for good things in life like democracy. It's good to, to have private property and to fight for that. But, but Lord, how often do we, do we act as if that's where our life is? How often do we try to guard that as as if that's where eternal life is? Lord Jesus, help us each and every day to, to surrender all of these things to you and by faith realize and recognize that we are eternally, lavishly blessed in Christ. That you have already given us everything that we need so that whether we walk the streets free or whether we're in prison, we are free in Christ. 
Whether we're rich or we're poor, we're blessed in Christ. Whether Jew or Gentile, we're blessed in Christ. God, give us faith. Give us faith to grasp that. And give us a a desire and a hunger to go deeper into that, Lord. Forgive us for weak affections. Forgive us for weak desires. Forgive us for, for fleshliness. And Lord Jesus, give us a great passion and affection to pursue you in whom are all the wisdom and treasures of God. Help us to access that by faith, Lord Jesus. And we ask this of you and expect you to answer it because you are the God who hears, you are the God who answers, you are the God of abundant, lavish grace. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, it's in your name that we cry out, it's in your name that we call. Amen.